It's a great day to talk about climate, isn't it? It's, it's particularly relevant today. My name is Michelle Jobin, um, and I have been covering issues of weather and climate for about 17 years now as a journalist and weather specialist. It feels particularly relevant to be talking about it today in Toronto. You may have noticed we're dealing with a little bit of wildfire smoke, but it's always a good day to talk about climate, especially when we're talking about ways that we can address this in a positive way. So I'm very excited to be talking about this today with Max Evans. Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Climate AI? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, so thank you, Michelle. Pleasure to be here. Um, so a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm the CTO and co-founder of, of Climate AI. Um, we are on a mission to bring uh, climate resilience to the global economy and ensure lives and livelihoods in that way. Um, Climate AI builds on uh, climate adaptability and, and works especially in the agricultural sector, among others, to uh, build climate resilience. Which is a great thing to talk about today. I mean, we're, we're sort of at a pivotal moment where we can sort of figure out ways to tackle this problem or we can just sort of stand back and let it happen. So I'm glad that we're looking at the former, not the latter. So yourself and your co-founder, Himanshu, of Climate AI, uh, both have personal experiences that are recognized from areas that are, are climate high risk. So you can talk a little bit about that and, and how that sort of informs the work that you do at Climate AI. Yeah, I, I think our personal stories really inform what we do. So, so I was born and raised in Ecuador. Uh, in, in a pineapple farm, okay. <laughs> funnily. So my, uh, my father wanted to harvest pineapples year-round. Uh, so, so growing up, I, I was always worried about an extreme heat event that would create this natural flowering of pineapple and like ruin the year's crops and our, and our livelihoods. So I think for, for me, both climate and, and climate and agriculture has always been a very present thing personally and also in Ecuador, in Latin America, with, with all the extreme events. It's just always been top of mind. Yeah, it's certainly an area that's bearing the brunt of climate change at this point, while maybe not necessarily contributing to climate change as much as other parts of the world might be doing. Um, I want to just get right into ways in which AI and machine learning can be used to help monitor climate and also climate change and how to reduce the impact. Like how is what you're doing helping us to predict where we should be going? So there, there's two big areas where AI can play. The first one is very foundational in the study of climate in understanding climate models in building higher resolution climate models and forecasting systems. And the second is in connecting data, in connecting uh, both weather variables, climate variables, and industry-specific data together so that we can start building uh, impact functions, hazard functions that connect the weather, say temperature and precipitation, with specific yields or quality metrics or more specifically dollar values, and business can start taking care about that from an economic and bottom line perspective. Okay, and as you mentioned, agriculture, for very personal reasons, is, is uh, near and dear to you, but it's the main industry that you're focusing on at Climate AI. Why specifically is this sector of the economy one that you feel can be best augmented to reduce climate impact? Yeah, so, so we, we, we actually focus in all weather-impacted industries, 
but agriculture is a particularly high climate impacted industry. We, we see it that it can get all the way to 100% impact. Uh, think of stranded agricultural assets where, where farmers in California are pulling out their almond orchards because the water availability is no longer there to maintain that production and that harvest. So it goes all the way to 100%, whereas in energy, all the renewables are, are highly impacted, and you have like a 20%, 30%. Also, your cooling towers depend on being able to maintain a certain temperature of water going in versus water going out, uh, building materials. But agriculture feels the pain in a particular way. And as a startup, as a founder, you're always looking for those pain points. And, and that, that's where they exist. So do you feel that what you do can work towards protecting the overall future of agriculture and food production in general? Yes. So, so I think in, in this uh, climate change fight, that there's two big areas. You, you can think of mitigation, uh, think carbon capture, think carbon accounting. But there's also a big area of adapt adaptation and climate adaptability. And I think we work under the realization that we're well on our way towards that 1.5 degrees Celsius, 2 degrees mm -hmm. Celsius, and there will be a need for businesses, for, for individuals to adapt to a constantly changing climate, to a changing variability, an understanding what's coming year to year, and be able to make both strategic choices as well as operational choices. Strategic think long-term and operational more the choices that you're making year to year in a way that accounts for the climate being what it is today and not just the historical 20-year average that most people have done so far. And in terms of the, the organizations, the companies, the, the farmers that you're working with right now, is that a on a global scale at this point you're seeing the need? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we're, we have a presence in uh, Southeast Asia, Australia, the U.S., Latin America. Um, our our uh, climate models are global, so, okay. so we have the ability to, to offer intelligence, climate intelligence at a global level. And the need is, is global, and there's particular hotspot areas um, surrounding either El Nino, uh, co coastal risk, that we can focus on and also big bread baskets of the world. So would you say that you've identified some areas of more urgent physical risk than others or and what would those be? Yeah, so, so I think it, dep it depends on the, on the timeline mm -hmm. um, be because we work on long-term strategic change um, which tends to be impacted along coastlines, uh, right. along areas of wildfire risk, around areas of, so it's not just climate, but climate, geography, location. In the shorter term, um, there, there's a lot of chaos around the mid-latitudes. Right. Uh, think hurricanes, typhoons, um, your torrential rains. So, so we like to focus on these areas where we can have the biggest positive impact and, and make sure that we're there at the right time with the right intelligence to actually help. So can you speak a little bit? I, I'm not sure if this is something that we need to be concerned about, and this is just sort of a counterpoint, but it takes considerable energy to run AI models. Is that something that we should be concerned about? Is that counterintuitive to what we're doing? Or is that just part of the process and the benefits 
outweigh that completely? So, so I think it's, it's something good to keep in mind and, and to work towards building better and, and more uh, energy efficient models. I think in particular in the climate space, it's good to keep in mind what the best alternative was, which is very heavy compute, heavy dynamical models. Uh, think differential equations, Na Na Navier-Stokes theorems, and, and those are much heavier and harder to, to run than uh, these lighter weight uh, machine learning models. So there's definitely a game there, but I I'd say there's still a lot of space for, for innovation, um, task-specific chips, task-specific models that we can work on that will make it better. So if we're talking, for example, uh, about a farmer that has, say, a citrus farm in Florida, um, that has faced particular hurdles in terms of climate and um, challenges to what they do as their business. What would be something that you would look at in that situation? Is the idea that just it's getting too hot, too risky in terms of the coastal location or hurricanes or things like that, would they just need to move further to the north, or is it a little bit more complex than that? It's a little more complex. I, I think stone fruits uh, right. is, is a great example. Um, so just a little story. Stone fruits require chilling hours to get into dormancy. Um, so in the, in the winter, they, they go to sleep, they gain energies, they, they have this chill hour requirement that makes them actually bloom and produce the next year. So if it's too hot and they can't go to sleep in the winter, they will not produce. So, so chill hour requirements is something that we pay very special attention to. And being able to forecast, will you be short or long on chill hours this summer, allows farmers to do something about it. They, they can take mechanisms to reduce the, the temperature, um, take more active measures like pruning to sort of try to force some dormancy on their crops a little bit earlier. Um, so so there, there is a level of operational decisions that you can make, um, but that there are some longer-term strategic decisions of where do you locate your crops to be the most efficient. And, and we work on both sides, strategic and operational insights. There's a lot of hype at present, present about generative AI. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Can this type of AI be used in tackling climate change and how would that work in your opinion? I, I, I think so. I, I don't think you can just like chat GPT <laughs> the weather. How do we fix the world? <laughs> how do you fix the climate change? Yeah. But, but there's some foundational technologies uh, around transformers. Um, one of the foundational technologies behind chat GPT that is now getting used on video processing, uh, video transformers, uh, image transformers that uh, now can be used to forecast climate and forecast weather ahead. Similarly, uh, with like the, the DALI-2 um, uh, adversarial networks, those can be used uh, very efficiently for downscaling and making more localized and efficient predictions. So I think uh, while at a high level, I would I say not likely, at a low level in terms of technical innovation, there is a lot of learnings to be had that can be used on the climate space. So when we're looking at a situation like today, and I'm, I'm just because it's what's happening right yeah. now, we're dealing with wildfires in, north of Toronto uh, that are affecting our air quality. Um, what would what you do at Climate AI, is there anything that sort of could help that situation in terms of where we could go to either prevent 
or to improve our outcomes when a situation like this happens? Yeah, I, I think being able to track and measure is important. In wildfires, uh, particularly in California, where, where, where we focus, there's a lot of, it's not just a drought, it's like torrential rains followed by, by a drought provide the kinglin yep. the king, that actually makes this a, a massive problem. So being able to both detect this both uh, rain and then drought, one following the other, uh, increases the risk. And by how much it increases the risk, helps people be there, be prepared, and be aware of what's coming. Um, and increasing the, the reaction time from maybe a few weeks to a few months can drastically improve the outcomes. It's interesting how this entire understanding of climate data might help us select where we farm in the future, where we live in the future. Do you see it affecting sort of patterns of where people choose to settle in the coming years? Yeah, I, I think um, people want to settle in a place where they feel comfortable, where, where, where they feel safe. safe and yeah. I think both of those can be directly affected by climate change. So, so it's foundational, I, I would say. How can we use AI to help reduce energy output? Because we're talking a little bit about how we can use it sort of predictively um, to mitigate the effects of climate change. But can we use AI to reduce energy output that is one of the contributors to climate change, emissions and things like that? Yeah. So, so I think that this goes to the mitigation aspect yes. of it rather than the adaptation. I, I think... Um, in forecasting heating degree days, cooling degree days. Mm -hmm. um, these are what generally drives our air conditioning use and, and how we feel uh, during either a hot summer or, or a cold winter. Um, so if we can use, have the energy that's either more efficient or cheaper energy or cleaner energy be ready and, and match both the demand with, with the supply, we, we can form a more efficient mix of energy uses. So I think that that would be one example of how we, we can be more efficient in how we use energy if we can match supply and demand. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that sort of require you to peer into the future a little bit, which yeah. is sort of what you're doing in a very sort of scientific way by, by looking at the data. But there there is for very good reason, a lot of gloom and doom around the, uh, the idea of climate change or the concept of it. What, in your view, is the outlook for avoiding catastrophic climate change? And are, are we sort of at the stage of just accepting this is going to happen and, and minimizing risk? Or is there a way to sort of turn things around? Yeah. I, I, I think this is a, a difficult question uh, because it's ca catastrophic to whom, right? Right. So, so, so I think that there are levels in, in which we're already very much in a catastrophic e epoch and uh, or seeing catastrophic effects of climate change. And, and I think for people who've lost their houses to wildfire, people who've lost their houses to hurricane, it's definitely catastrophic. I, I think what we need to realize is we're well on our path towards uh, extreme global warming, 1.52. It might be 2.5. Um, and each of these 0.5s, each of these different thresholds, means that millions of people enter into this catastrophic effects of climate change. So I think the more that we can do, the less catastrophic events will, will impact people. So, so there is 
um, th th there is a very good reason to, to fight against climate change yeah. to, to the degree that, that we can or that we will be able to, even if we have a very pragmatic view of where we will be. I think there's a lot of hope with what you're doing with climate AI in terms of trying to stay ahead of what might be worst case scenarios or try to work on solutions. So when we talk about the future as well, with what you're doing in the next five to 10 years, where's, what's your roadmap? What's the plan? I think uh, we're continuously growing to other weather impacted industries. Our, our, our real dream is that all weather impacted industries can have this information. We'll, we'll be able to make the, the most climate smart decisions uh, to make sure that both the way that they impact climate and the way that the climate impacts them can be mitigated both on the business side as well as on the individual side as we're able to both sell and service and help um, di different uh, sectors of the economy and just climate proof as much as the economy as we can. And for anybody that might not have been concerned or as uh, proactive about working to find solutions to climate, what you're doing is help, helping to protect the business side of things. It's protecting the bottom line, which always gets people's attention. Right? It's a compelling so, argument, and, yes. and I think the more people uh, think about climate change, the more likely they are to act on it. So, so we just like to be able to get our foot in the door. Well, I certainly think that there's a lot of hope and a lot of positivity in what you're doing with Climate AI uh, in terms of trying to be proactive with what's happening. Uh, it's a fascinating path that you and your co-founder have sort of begun on, and I'm really excited to see what happens in the future. So thank you so much for being here today, Max. Thank you, it's Michelle. It's been great to chat with you, and thank you to all of you for your attention today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.